Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin A culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary, and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. We're getting closer. There we go. Okay. Just watch. It's a little tricky here. I mean, we're going back a ways to 1986 when we had our first uh, pet uh, pass away. There is our two dogs. Pepper being our first dog that brought us here back in 1986. Who you see on the headstone there. You can see the black and white photo of the dog um, as opposed to the color photo of Elvira, our beagle, um, who passed away in 2006. I like that, that you can see the pictures of them. I met Elsie Kopcha and Howard Wasserman at Hartsdale Pet Cemetery. It's in Westchester County, about an hour north of New York City. The photos on the headstone show Elvira, the beagle, and Pepper, a black dog with pointy ears. Who was Pepper? Pepper I found in a schoolyard. Uh, I was a teacher at the time, and it was May of 75. She was about this big. She yelling up a storm. Uh, the principal had her in the office in a cage, and they were going to call the ASPCA, you know, to take her away. So I said, nobody claims her by the end of the day. Uh, I'll take her. And uh, I wound up uh, keeping her, and she was with us for 11 years. How many pets do you have here? I believe about 28. 28 pets. That's uh, two dogs and uh, the rest are cats, felines. Now, some lived, uh, didn't live that long and others lived uh, a good full life. Would you show me your other plot? Sure. Yipes is over there. She passed away first. And uh, pipes, pipes and stripes were from the same litter, too. So we had yipes, pipes, and stripes. <laughs> okay. Now, stripes, um, when he was a year old, uh, they were kittens that were born in our backyard, which we took in. A year old, we came home. We found him collapsed on the floor. He had some type of a uh-huh. cardiac event. Doctors didn't give him much hope and so forth, and he did pull through, but they were kind of saying maybe six months. Yeah. Needless to say, he lasted 21 years. years. What don't you think some people understand about a a pet being a family member? Well, I know not everybody's a a pet enthusiast like we are, uh, but 
they give us an equal amount of joy. Um, and let me tell you, they can't, they have been as expensive as raising a child and maybe sending them to college. <laughs> but on the other hand, being, being like your family, you want to do what's best for them. So, uh, you know, a lot of our friends thought it was kind of um, over the top to be doing burials. But as I said, you know, when it comes, when it comes to family, you do you what know, you, you can. And you don't let them suffer. That's one thing. This, for us, just kind of helps us put everything into perspective. Does looking at all of these names bring you back to a lot of memories? I mean, this is, this is, a, this is a lot of your life, too, that you're seeing with all of these pets. Uh-huh. Well, I remember how I got each, each and every one of them, you know, how basically they came to us and uh, got a head full of memories. It's just ability for us to keep our pets alive in our memory. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. In 1896, a veterinarian named Samuel K. Johnson was at his Manhattan office when he received a call from a woman. She was distraught. Her dog had just died, and she didn't know what to do with the body. New York City had banned burials as part of a public health movement, and dead pets were usually just disposed of with the household trash. One newspaper article described how a dead dog had been put in a wooden box, wrapped in an old coat with a ribbon tied around its collar, and been placed in the street so trash collectors could take it away. According to historian Mary Thurston, Dr. Johnson went into business with a woman named Emily Berthet, who owned an apple orchard north of the city in Hartsdale, New York, where she spent her summers. Berthet had buried her own family pets in the orchard, including her tabby cat, Fuzz, and she wanted to turn it into a pet cemetery. She'd been reading newspaper stories about New York City pet owners who didn't know what to do with their dead pets. I am one of those who believe that dogs have souls, she told a newspaper. Dr. Johnson started telling people about the new pet cemetery, and by 1905, 300 pets were buried in Emily Berthet's apple orchard. A 1905 article described a funeral that took place there. It was raining. A carriage with its curtains drawn arrived at the cemetery, Four men got out and put a casket on their shoulders. There was a wreath on the casket. Two women carrying flowers followed behind them, crying. The reporter wrote, quote, They were burying their dog. The whole ceremony lasted only about five minutes, and yet it was a remarkably fine funeral. Today, Hartsdale is the oldest pet cemetery in the U.S., My family is the third family to come in as the owners of the cemetery. Edward Martin III is vice president of Hartsdale Pet Cemetery. His family has been running the cemetery since 1974. I've been working here literally, actually, since I was 14 years old. That was my first job ever. Um, I started out cutting the grass and cutting flowers. But after going to college and having other jobs, I've been here full-time for a little over 22, 23 years. You could win a contest for the most unique job around. (laughs) 
I guess I could. <laughs> you could you could take all of LaGuardia and talk. What what do you do? And I bet you'd be the only guy who would say, "Well, here's what I do." It's funny, you know, um, if I'm meeting new people or if I'm at a cocktail party or something, and the subject comes out, but what I do, everyone's like, "Whoa, wait a second, wait, wait, that's what you do." Um, it is. It's. It's. I don't even consider it a job. I feel so lucky to to work here um, to help people, and it's it's a place where all my family pets are buried. So um, I just feel very connected to Hartsdale. How many animals do you have buried here? I'd say well over seventy thousand pets since the start of the cemetery in eighteen ninety six. Do you are you going to run out of room anytime? Mathematically, we eventually will. Yes. <laughs> Um, but there's no danger of that happening right now. Um, we still have plenty of plots available. And also the, the plots are designed so that you can bury multiple pets in a plot, like in a human cemetery. So when someone, um, a family buries a pet, they may have room for anywhere between two and four more pets in the plot. And what types of, of pets are buried here? I would say that 99% of the pets that are buried here are dogs and cats, with probably a 50-50 split among the dogs and cats. Um, the remaining 1% would be any other type of pet that you can think of. So ferrets, guinea pigs, reptiles, birds, uh, turtles, uh, a few monkeys back in the day when you were able to have a monkey as a pet. Okay, well, you, you, know, you, know, where to, you know where to go. <laughs> Why don't we start up here? Um, this is where the cemetery started. Um, okay. And then we can work our way down. And how, how big is this an acre? How, how much land do you have? We are a little less than five acres, I'd say. So, like four and change. So, okay. Um, I'm going to show you two plots that are the oldest plots in the cemetery. Okay. So, one is this one, Dottie. We don't know much about Dottie. Her headstone just says Dottie. Beloved pet of E.M. Dodge. Died September 16th, 1899, in her 14th year. We do have evidence that before written records that there were many parts of the world where humans were uh, burying animals and sometimes burying animals with themselves. We can find it in Egypt, in ancient Greece, in Rome, China, Chile. Anthropology professor Jane Desmond. Sometimes these were animals with high symbolic value and sometimes we don't we don't really know why they were given that special treatment. They might have uh, been just a beloved part of, of a herd or something. So these are animals that you would assume the human had some connection with, felt some closeness to. Yes, in some way it could have been a more intimate, uh, personal relationship. Professor Desmond is the author of the book Displaying Death and Animating Life. In the book, she writes about an ancient burial site in the Middle East. Archaeologists found the remains of a woman who was buried about 12,000 years ago with a puppy. The woman's hand is resting on the dog's head. In 2011, a team of archaeologists discovered a large animal burial site in Egypt, dating back to the first centuries AD. Most of the buried animals were cats, some were dogs. The bones showed that some of the dogs lived long lives. Some were almost toothless and had worn-out joints, suggesting that they had been pets and survived longer than animals in the wild. 
Some wondered if this site could be the world's oldest pet cemetery. We think of pet keeping as just something that we do, but in fact, it has a social history. And for a long time, uh, the keeping of an animal, for affectionate reasons, we might say, was really restricted to people who had a lot of money. And as we began to see the rise of the middle class, and as more and more people moved into urban settings, that practice of keeping a pet was something that expanded, especially in the latter half of the 19th century. And part of keeping pets meant figuring out what to do when they died. Professor Desmond says sometimes people would sneak into cemeteries or parks to bury their pets. In 1881, a woman named Rose Howe buried her pug Fanny at Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn. According to the Brooklyn Daily Eagle, she sent out cards to friends across New York City announcing the funeral. A quartet sang, and a friend gave, quote, what was called an address, but sounded to most ears like a funeral sermon. Some people were offended, and when cemetery administrators were asked to comment, they said Greenwood did not allow the burial of dogs. The cemetery superintendent later told a reporter that no animals were buried at Greenwood. Over time, what we see is the human cemeteries then would sometimes add a pet cemetery division. Uh, But maintaining that boundary between, you know, what species was buried where was really, really important. For a very, very long time, there was a real sense that there would be cemeteries for humans, and then there would be burial places for non-humans. The rise of a formal cemetery as a place you could practice your mourning for an animal was something that took place maybe about 120, a little over 120 years ago in this country. When the cemetery was first developed, this is where they started doing burials and then it kind of developed from there. Um, oh, I know I want to show you the, the oldest stone. Yeah. This is the oldest surviving um, plot here at the cemetery. Any idea how old? 1898. So two years after the cemetery supposedly had its first burial. There's a short iron fence around the plot. A small marble stone has the name of the pet, Black. Most of the headstones are smaller than what you see at a regular cemetery. They're sort of staggered and crowded everywhere. There are more than I was expecting. There are so many. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a a little ball. Do people leave little balls in the... People do leave um, lots of memorabilia. It could be balls. It could be little toys. They leave food sometimes. Like, you'll see little containers of cat food. Um, So, and then, you know, in the Jewish religion, um, little stones are left on the monuments to show that somebody's been visiting. So there's all neat little customs that people have um, that are very endearing. There are some celebrities that have buried their pets here over over the years, and probably the biggest celebrity that's buried a pet here is Mariah Carey. And um, her pet, Clarence, uh, is buried back here. Can you read the stone to me? Of course. Uh, Clarence, 1979 to 1997. My eternal friend and guardian angel, you'll always be a part of me forever. Love, M. And that's Mariah. Mm Mm-hmm. This is kind of a custom stone. It looks like a doghouse. This is my favorite. 
<laughs> because it's so creative. Yes, it is. It's Buster and Queenie's doghouse. Um, and it is in the shape of a doghouse. And I think it's so clever. I love it. From the 40s. Yeah. Very clever. Now that's a good stone. Born a dog, lived like a gentleman. Yeah. That's a good stone. I think one of the things you'll see here is there's so many great epitaphs, what people have to say. Um, also, I don't get the gloomy, you know, um, uh, feeling that I would get, so, or some people would tell me that they might get from a human cemetery. So there is a lot of heartfelt inscriptions. There's also a lot of whimsy here, too. So if you come over here, um, there's... Sometimes people name their pets after themes. So here you can see we've got fajita and tamale. You know, then there's other Oh, they're chihuahuas. They're chihuahuas, yes, <laughs> appropriately enough. Um, there's another stone, uh, the Spice Girls, and I think it's like, you know, cats. There's like cinnamon and ginger and something else. So, um, again, a lot of whimsy, and um, it just it kind of really adds interest to this when you're walking around the cemetery. In 2009, an anthropologist named Stanley Brandis published a study of the gravestones at Hartsdale. He argued that the inscriptions show a change in our attitudes towards pets. Early headstones might just say, my pet, or might only say the name of the pet. Sometimes people would add the dates the pet lived and died. And then, after World War II, images and photographs began appearing on gravestones more often. Human names grew in popularity. For example, Rebecca, Jacob, Chelsea, and Ronnie. And so did inscriptions calling the pet a member of the family. Professor Jane Desmond. So there's an increasing move towards specificity and also towards a sense, I would say, almost of the subjectivity of the pet, so that we know more and more about each individual pet. And that's a shift that has happened over time. The anthropologists also found that, starting in the 1980s, religious symbols and references often appeared on pet gravestones, suggesting that more and more people believed that pets had souls. Many of the gravestones we saw at Hartsdale make references to an afterlife, one gravestone is shaped like a dog bone and has a photo of a black-and-white dog. The inscription reads, Sugar, 2002-2017. to See you later. We saw gravestones in many different languages. Some specify where a pet was from, like Fluffy, born in Scotland, 1950-1963, deeply loved, Many inscriptions make references to pop culture. One stone reads, Our beloved Lucy, now in the sky of diamonds, forever. And Woodstock, one hell of a cat, often mistaken for a meatloaf. Oh, wait, here's another. Who, who picked the name Jerry Garcia? Huh? Who picked Jerry Garcia? I did. Of course. My husband's a big deadhead. <laughs> so uh, Jerry Garcia, Jerry, his name was, uh, was uh, found in a pet smart, I believe it was. Yeah, pet smart. We had gone in there one day to get some pet food, and he was in a cage. Um, and, and there were, were some kittens also for adoption. And um, 
he, he had a sign um, saying, please adopt me. I'm an older cat. And so that we did. We, we, walked out, <laughs> we walked out with him and the cat food that we came in there for right. eventually. And he stayed with us for you know, a good number of years. He was a great cat. We'll be right back. Embracing nature is more than just going for a walk now and then. It's reconnecting with the elements. It's harnessing the power of natural ingredients. It's putting the earth first. For over 50 years, Nature's Sunshine has been sharing the healing power of nature as they work towards a healthier planet. Their manufacturing facility is 100% powered by sunlight, and they divert 95% of waste away from landfills. If you're looking for a sustainably made herbal supplement, you might want to check out Nature Sunshine and their new power line. Power Beats are a superfood performance booster that can help enhance both performance and blood flow. And Power Meal is a satisfying protein-packed superfood shake that comes in sustainable packaging made with nearly 40% post-consumer recycled plastics. Now that's something you can feel good about. This Earth Month, you can enjoy 25% off your first order with code NSP. Just go to naturesunshine.com. That's naturesunshine.com and use code NSP for 25% off your first order. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from 26.2 Team Milk and their new docu-series, Running Sucks. Is running the worst? Yeah. Do you love it? Do you hate it? I hate it so much. (laughs) I hate it so freaking much. I'm Abby Ayers, a 37-year-old mom from Utah who found herself running across the Manhattan Bridge in my first race ever. Running Sucks celebrates women who run and the running communities that carry them across the finish line. Running helped me in so many ways postpartum. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. For every person like you, I'm telling you you belong, and I'm telling you you can do it. I never thought the words would leave my mouth, but yes, I'm planning on running a marathon. (laughs) I can't even say it without laughing, because, like, who would have thought? Watch Running Sucks at runningsuckstheseries.com and learn more about how Team Milk is helping women runners across the country conquer their next course. Tell me about the process. You know, is it is it rather like the process when someone's family member dies, a human? They come in and and make arrangements. So the steps are, one, you know, where is their pet right now? Is it at the vet's office or is it at their home? And um, will they be bringing their pet here themselves or are we going to pick up the service we provide? Maybe the, the pet is a large pet, like a German Shepherd or something larger, and they can't physically bring the pet here. Um, I always tell them that we don't force anyone to do anything that they don't feel comfortable doing and that grief and death is extremely personal and individual. Um, What may be right for one person may not be right for another. And so, um, for example, having an open casket versus a closed casket, that's a very personal decision. That being said, I think most people that bury their pets do like to have an open casket. Um, They like to put memorabilia inside the casket, like toys or a favorite pillow or blanket or something like that. 
So um, these are just, you know, samples of caskets that we offer. Most people use wood caskets. Um, and for most people, that's acceptable because it's the philosophy of ashes to ashes, dust to dust. There's um, different styles to choose from. There's very basic. We have plywood and pine. And then we have fancy. Um, there's oak, there's poplar, and there's cherry wood. So after they've selected the casket, um, we place their pet into the casket, and we come up to the viewing room, and we give them private time uh, they can spend with their pets. Typically, it's immediate family that comes to a burial. You'll only see maybe one to four people come for a burial. Um, but, you know, there are ex large families. There are people that, you know, had a pet. Maybe they live in an apartment in the city, and that dog was like the mayor. And everyone's like, I love that pet. I'm definitely coming to the funeral. You know, so you may get 15 or 20 people coming to a burial. People use this room to, to say farewell to their pet. And um, we have pocket doors to give them privacy. And, you know, some people also bring clergy with them. Not many. You know, maybe it happens five times a year, if at most. But some people invite either a priest or a rabbi or a minister to um, officiate. My name is Vivian Gold. Um, where, do, where do you live? I live in Manhattan. And I'm here visiting my gorgeous dog, Ellie, who's a Westie who passed away two years ago at the age of 16 from natural causes. So I feel very blessed because she was really the love of my life. She was my sidekick. I knew at the beginning that I would want to bury Ellie. Um, I just felt that cremating her, and I don't put anyone else down for doing this, but all I saw was me putting Ellie on a roasting tin, putting butter and salt and pepper and putting her in the oven. And I could not do it. You can do it to me, but I couldn't do that to Ellie. I knew roughly the prices, but I knew no matter what, I would find the money to bury her here. And she passed away on January the 5th, and I called them, they were wonderful. Um, I left her at the vet that night and brought her here with my two daughters and they buried her, she was in a coffin. I went for the cheapest, cheapest, nothing fancy, mm -hmm. but her little head was on a little satin pillow and they wrapped her in her blanket. And my daughters and I each put in photographs of us with a message to Ellie on it and we put in some of her toys, and she looked so wonderful. She looked alive, and I went to kiss her goodbye. And I was like, no, she's not here. And I left with my daughters, and it was a beautiful, sunny day. I said, oh, she's here. She's right here. I just ordered her headstone. What is a headstone gonna say? It has Ellie, it has her dates, and underneath it just says, our gorgeous girl. In part because there are fewer models of prescribed grieving rituals, we have to figure out how do we mourn at these sites 
and I see much more creativity going on there. Professor Jane Desmond. I think also for many of us, um, our grieving is as complicated as the human relationships that we are in. And sometimes those relationships with animals can be less complicated. Um, And in that way, the grief can feel a little more overwhelming. My first pet was a Cocker Spaniel. My grandfather um, found this pet abandoned off the Hutchinson River Parkway. Um, It was a purebreed Cocker Spaniel, kind of looked like Lady from Lady and the Tramp. She was beautiful. Ed, the vice president of Hartsdale Pet Cemetery. We begged my parents to to keep her, and um, they finally said okay. Um, I guess she was just used to fending for herself, so anytime there was the slightest crack in the door, she would escape. And I'd go out with the leash, and I'd find her. And usually, nine out of ten times, she had the garbage can of our neighbors turned over, and she was, like, you know, going for food. Even though we were feeding her adequately, that's what she felt like she had to do. So, anyway, we noticed that she was putting on a lot of weight because she was having two meals. So we're like, i got to put this dog on a diet. So we did that, and then I came home from school one day, and we couldn't find her. We didn't get the usual greeting that we got. She usually comes to the door, all excited to see us and everything. We're like, where is she? We got worried that something was wrong. I went to go looking for her, and um, she was in the closet giving birth to puppies. So we put this dog on a diet, and she was actually pregnant. <laughs> I had no idea. Um, she gave birth to five puppies, and um, my brother and I wanted to keep them all, but that was not in the cards. My parents let us keep one of them. And the other ones we actually found homes for with almost all relatives. There was one puppy that we lost track of. All the others are all buried here. The one we kept, uh, her name was Mona. She lived 17 years. That was my first experience with having to euthanize a pet. That was very, very difficult. Um, I was in my 20s when it happened. I went with my mom, and um, that was was really difficult. And this is one thing I talk about with people a lot, too. You know, with euthanasia, you conflict it because you want to end the suffering that they're going through. But you can't help but feel like the executioner either. So, you know, and the timing of it, you know, getting that right, is it the right time? Should I wait a little longer? Um, It's a very, very difficult thing and something that is talked about all the time here. So um, I just have the approach of you can't really have any regrets. You know your pet better than anybody else. And I feel that like your pet gives you that look. There's a look that they give you when they're, they're asking for help. And then you know it's right. Many times I've heard people say to me, um, I've lost my parents and I've lost my pet or other pets, and I find that losing pets is more difficult than losing my parents. And I feel guilty about that. And um, the only thing I can say about that is that You know, our pets live with us, and we see them every day, and their routines are so a part of our lives. And um, that's why I think the grief is so difficult with the pets, because you have this schedule, and, you know, walking, feeding, maybe your pet sleeps with you, and you have certain, you know, maybe you play at a certain time of the day, there's another feeding at the end of the day, and there's just so much of your schedule as part of that pet. And then, very abruptly and very suddenly, it all just ends. And so really you have to adjust to a new life without your pet. And so when your pet passes, everything is a trigger. The time that you're supposed to walk your dog, that brings on tears. Now it's time to feed my dog. I would have fed my dog. That brings on tears too. So in the very beginning, there's just nothing but the absence. That's all you feel. Ed says that as an adult, he got another dog, a shelter dog named Violet, 
She was also a Cocker Spaniel. We had it for 10 years. She also had to be euthanized, and um, that was very difficult. That just happened in 2020, in August of 2020. Um, and in my case, I found that, you know, the beginning was difficult, and then I found it got a little better. She died in August, and by, um, I'd say, November or December, I was starting to feel a little, you know, a little better. With tears weren't coming as much as, as they were. And then, you know, Christmas came around the corner, and I was pulling out the Christmas stuff, and there was violets stocking. I was like, ooh! <laughs> Um, so there's always going to be that type of, um, those, those types of memories. Um, and, you know, I get a little choked up even talking about it now. But um, she was a big part of my life, and I miss her. We'll be right back. Hi, how are you? It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Ted, I'm Janine. Nice to meet both of you. Same to you. You can tell that you've been here. I mean, there's there's fresh flowers here and a, a wreath. I mean, this is this is a, a, a site that's well cared for. We try. We try. We have trouble getting grass to grow, but it's it's a meaningful place. Janine and Ted have buried three dogs at Hartsdale and ten rabbits. All of their pets are together in one area. It's colorful, with decorations and fresh flowers. Tell me, for, for people who might not understand, you know, a, a pet cemetery, why it's important, what would you say? Um, I would say when you love someone, you want to respect them the same way when they pass as you do when they're alive. And I, I don't see any difference. Um, I don't think people need an explanation as to why they put their human loved ones in a cemetery. And it's the same. It's respect. It's love. People who, who feel these pet deaths as a significant loss to their family or their individual life often then go to work the next day and someone will say, oh, well, you know, what happened? I heard your dog was sick. Oh, the dog died. Oh, that's too bad. So are you going to get another golden retriever or what? You know, so there's a, a sort of a riding over or dismissal of the emotional impact of the death that can happen um, in our everyday lives. And a cemetery can be a place of countering that. A cemetery is a public place. It is really a politics in the broadest sense of what a society deems to have value. So to bury a pet in a cemetery is to claim that this is a grievable life and publicly should be recognized as having value and that the loss should be publicly valued as a loss. Uh, I remember talking to, um, when I was living in Iowa City, talking to one of the funeral directors there who had been asked by a family, the deceased wanted to be buried with um, his or her cat's ashes, and could they make it happen? So there are times when funeral directors would be asked by a family, couldn't you just tuck in the ashes of the cat with my grandparent? I actually did this when my sister Chloe died. 
I tuck the ashes of our cat, Jim, in next to her urn at the cemetery. Chloe loved Jim. And we are now seeing the law sort of catch up with some of those desires. In 2016, New York passed a new law saying that pet ashes can be buried alongside people in human cemeteries. And I do think that will continue to change. So I think we will see more and more of these sort of, we might call them mixed-use cemeteries. While it's long been illegal in many states for pets to be buried alongside humans, people have not paid as much attention to humans who wanted their ashes to go in a pet cemetery. Hartsdale Pet Cemetery has been doing it since the 1920s. The cemetery holds the cremated remains of over 800 people, including the family of Ed Martin III. So your grandparents are all here? Mm-hmm, yes. Do you think your father will be buried here? Yes, and my mother, and um, my aunt and uncle. My, so uh, my uncle works here. Uh, my grandmother, uh, my dad's mother, worked here, so... Um, they're all here, and so it becomes a, just a very special thing to have that, you know, have all my family members here, and future mem- family members will be here, too. The grave of Vivienne Gold's dog, Ellie, sits on a hill on the south side of the pet cemetery, overlooking a statue. Now, I decided immediately that I would be buried with her. Where I said to Ed, on that day... Oh, if only I could be with her. And he said, you can. I'm like, don't joke with me. And I have to say, I've talked with my divorced friends, and they're all like, oh, where are we going to be buried? We're not going to be buried with anyone. We're not going to be buried with family. And I said, well, come join Ellie and I. And I know it sounds silly, but I feel I've sorted out where I'm going to be. I feel really happy with my decision. It makes sense. It's also cheaper than being buried, but... (laughs) There's something about this place that brings me profound joy. But I think it's something about Ellie that brought me profound joy. I can't tell you what she gave me. You know, happiness, joy. I've gone through a lot with her. Cancer, divorce, lots of other illnesses and lots of emotional rubbish. And I spoke to my daughters about it and they loved Ellie the way I did. And they said, Mom, it makes sense. You'll be with Ellie. I think I've got a good, good ending. I really do. is created by Lauren Spohr and me. Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. Katie Bishop is our supervising producer. Our producers are Susanna Robertson, Jackie Sajiko, Lily Clark, Lena Sillison, and Megan Kinane. Our technical director is Rob Byers. Engineering by Russ Henry. Learn more about the show on our website, thisislovepodcast.com. And if you like the show, tell a friend or leave us a review. It means a lot. 
We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at This Is Love Show. This Is Love is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Discover more great shows at podcast.voxmedia.com. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. Celebrate Earth Month this April by harnessing the power of Mother Nature with Nature's Sunshine's new power line. From Power Greens with over 200 plant-based nutrients to support gut health and foundational nutrition to Power Beats that can improve performance and blood flow. Not to mention Power Meal, which delivers plant-based calories from Whole Foods to help keep you both energized and feeling satisfied throughout the day. This Earth Month, you can enjoy 25% off your first order with code NSP. Just go to naturesunshine.com. That's naturesunshine.com and use code NSP for 25% off your first order. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running. And that's not the case. Most runners hate running, <laughs> but they choose to do it. In the new docu-series, Running Socks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon taking place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.